Stay up to date and engage with the financial world. You're listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. Wall Street is home to some of the world's most aggressive and capable companies. The banks like JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs drive America's financial markets and print billions of dollars in quarterly profits in the process. But there is one relative newcomer among the bulge bracket banks that has been especially successful. Morgan Stanley, less than 100 years old, has quickly risen to lead the industry in many respects. It is now one of the fastest growing and most profitable of the Wall Street banks and has a rich history of utilizing new technologies to crush its competitors. It also has a track record of handily defeating the regulators over some of its gray area business practices. In this video and podcast, we'll go over the remarkable story of how Morgan Stanley came to dominate Wall Street and what makes it different from its older competitors. To understand how Morgan Stanley became the investment banking titan that it is today, we have to go all the way back to the beginning in the 1930s. The Great Depression had brought the country to its knees. Americans lost their life savings, unemployment soared to almost 25%, and some laid-off workers were relegated to trying to sell apples on street corners. And a major cause of the pain was financial speculation, especially on Wall Street. The post-World War I boom that led to the Roaring Twenties tempted stock traders and Wall Street professionals to borrow obscene amounts of money to buy stocks on margin. Sometimes brokers would allow their clients to buy stocks on margin with as little as 10% collateral in a self-fulfilling cycle. The more people bought stocks, the higher the stock prices pumped. And the higher the stocks went, the more leverage that people took on to buy even more stocks because their prices only went up. And Wall Street's biggest banks were no exception. When the bubble finally burst, there were some of the most spectacular bankruptcies. Because the same firms that did commercial banking also traded securities on behalf of themselves and their clients, this led to banks sometimes being unable to make good on people's deposits. This liquidity crisis in turn led to runs on the bank, and the Great Depression officially started. In response to the wild speculative behavior that contributed to the Depression, in 1932, the Glass-Steagall Act was passed. The main provision of the act was to ban banks from being both commercial banks that take deposits and investment banks that do things like trading securities and underwriting public offerings. J.P. Morgan, at the time one of the country's biggest commercial and investment banks, was forced to split. The company chose to prioritize the commercial banking business. Employees Henry Morgan and Harold Stanley decided they preferred the more exciting investment banking industry and split off to form Morgan Stanley in 1935. Throughout the 30s and 40s, Morgan Stanley was involved in many high-profile investment banking deals, including leading a $100 million bond issuance for U.S. Steel. In the 50s, the firm managed multi-hundred billion dollar bond offerings for the World Bank and companies like IBM. In less than 20 years, they'd built a world-class pure investment banking business. But the firm had ambitions to take the entire industry to a whole new level. With the advent of the computer around World War II, Morgan Stanley recognized the power that electronics could have in analyzing financial data. They were the first firm to use computer models to analyze the markets and aid in their sales and trading business. This opened them up to a whole host of new business opportunities. They were able to offer their institutional and high net worth individual clients an edge with their asset and wealth management services. They could profitably trade their own book and become market makers to generate profits for themselves. And their mastery of the markets allowed them to offer better order execution to companies looking to raise money in the credit markets 
In the 80s, they developed the world's first true automated trade processing system, cementing their dominant position as an investment bank that not only underwrote deals, but also was a formidable market participant in its own right. In the early 2000s, a golden era for investment banking, all the big Wall Street firms were going crazy over an exciting new security called mortgage-backed securities. These securities, which were basically bundles of thousands of pieces of mortgages, were hailed as carrying extremely low default risk because of the diversification across so many mortgages, and the banks were leveraging up many times to buy them. It was the golden egg that offered high returns with little risk. And Morgan Stanley was not going to sit on the sidelines of such a golden money-making era. When the housing bubble finally burst, the company almost went bankrupt, its stock tanked more than 80%, and it had to be bailed out by the Fed for over $100 billion, the most of any of the Wall Street banks. It also took a capital injection from one of Japan's largest banks. Things got so bad for the company that the Fed pressured them to sell themselves to JP Morgan, but JP Morgan refused to buy. The company was out of cash and on the brink of collapse. But luckily for the company, they had one man at the helm, John Mack. Mack continued the firm's legacy of strong leaders willing to do anything to advance the company. He spent nearly 30 years rising the ranks at Morgan Stanley, and after a brief stint as CEO of Credit Suisse, he returned to Morgan Stanley as CEO in 2005. He was one of the first Wall Street CEOs to recognize the risks and instability of the industry leading up to the financial crisis. While at Credit Suisse for just six months, he fired thousands of employees to bring the company back to profitability. He continued his indiscriminate cost-cutting measures as CEO of Morgan Stanley, earning himself the nickname Mac the Knife. When the crisis inevitably hit and the company was on the brink of collapse, he fought with the regulators and central bankers, including Ben Bernanke and the U.S. Treasury Secretary, to keep the company afloat and independent. He negotiated capital infusions from China Investment Corporation and Mitsubishi UFJ Financial Group, who together provided billions of dollars of liquidity to Morgan Stanley and returned for about a one-quarter stake in the firm. Despite all of the challenges, under Mack's strong leadership, Morgan Stanley was able to emerge from the financial crisis, while some of its biggest peers like Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers weren't. In the 15 years since then, the company has again cemented its reputation as being one of the most powerful and profitable businesses on Wall Street. It operates three primary businesses, a securities business, wealth management, and institutional asset management. The securities business underwrites bond offerings, advises on M&A, provides trading and prime brokerage services to other firms such as hedge funds, and other things of that nature. The wealth and asset management divisions provide investment services to high net worth individuals and institutional investors. Together, these three divisions have become a cash cow for the company. In 2021, Morgan Stanley had its best year by a long shot, both in revenue and in net income. In a single year, the firm made over $15 billion of profit, up from $11 billion the year prior, which itself was a record year. The SPAC craze and flurry of IPO activity was a huge boon not only for their securities business, but also the wealth and asset management businesses. 2021 was a big year for all of the investment banks, but Morgan Stanley was perhaps the single biggest beneficiary. Since its founding in 1935, Morgan Stanley has proven itself able to hold its own and dominate against any competitor. Even its much older competitors, Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, were unable to resist its rise. But there's another entity that has also been unable to suppress Morgan Stanley, the regulators. The company has a long history of getting in trouble with various government authorities, including the SEC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the Department of Justice, and even the stock exchanges themselves. 
One of the most telling scandals involved the 1999.com bubble. During this bubble, hundreds of unviable businesses were going public just because investors were willing to invest in anything related to the internet. It was not unlike the SPAT craze of 2020 and 2021, except the bubble was much bigger and crashed much harder in 2000. Morgan Stanley's analysts publish research on individual stocks for their prime brokerage and other clients. It's a standard business practice that is still widespread among sell-side firms on Wall Street to this day. But during the inflating of the dot-com bubble, Morgan Stanley manipulated these research reports to gain favor with the companies that they covered. They would write favorable reports with buy ratings on companies that wanted to do public offerings, for example, in order to pump up their stock prices. The hope was that these same companies would then return the favor and hire Morgan Stanley to carry out their public offerings or other market activities. Of course, this is market manipulation at the largest imaginable scale, and the SEC and FINRA eventually sued, settling with Morgan Stanley for $125 million. Other Wall Street banks were also part of the settlement. Since then, Morgan Stanley has continually been subjected to fines and penalties for nefarious or sketchy business practices. The company and its executives have been fined or pled guilty to things like price fixing, bribing foreign officials, engaging in unfair labor practices, and misleading their own clients. In one instance, they were fined $15 million for refusing to cooperate with SEC investigations. Just this past September, they were fined $35 million for exposing the personal data of millions of their own customers. When upgrading their servers and IT equipment, they didn't even bother hiring data destruction experts to make sure their decommissioned equipment had all of the data wiped. Some of their decommissioned equipment was eventually resold on internet marketplaces while still containing Morgan Stanley's customer data. And that fine was just a month ago as of the time of recording this video. But despite the multi-million dollar scandals and penalties that come pretty much every year for the company, there has been no noticeable change in Morgan Stanley's behavior. The frequency of their violations has not gone down significantly. The reality is that there really isn't any incentive for them to change anything. A $35 million fine here, a $15 million fine there, what difference does it make to a money printing machine like Morgan Stanley? Last quarter alone, they made over $2.5 billion on revenues of over $13 billion. At that rate, they could pay a $10 million fine for anti-money laundering compliance failure in less than one-third of a single trading day. The reality is that Morgan Stanley has become so powerful that no competitor or regulator has the power to influence their behavior. You've been listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. Don't miss a minute wherever you go. Wall Street Millennial, signing out.